It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. Season five, and we're ready to talk about Tough as Nails and a brand new Tough as Hail and Tough as Nails team champion has been crowned. And here to talk about it here, our Tough as Nails panel, of course, back with us. It's the amazing Jessica Lee. Jess, how are you? Doing great, Rob. I zipped on in here on a zip line. Yep, climbed over the log climber. Yes, that's a thing. Okay. Well, uh, incredible. Well, that I'm happy, but you don't love the zip line more than uh, all of us, right? I I don't know if it's possible to. Okay. Good. Good. All yeah. Right. Don't say that. Rob's face looks like a clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. And then, of course, back with us. Uh, no costume. No disguise this week for Mike. Bloom. I mean, I was ready to come in dressed up like a snake. It said that I just rolled out of my hibernaculum filled with short logs and long logs and stones of plenty. God, I feel bad for those snakes. That seems like the worst sleeping conditions possible. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> tough as nails. It's not just about building. Also, why does it have to be so deep? It's such a deep hibernaculum. That snake was so small. Mike? Look, if you want to hibernate, you got to make sure you're going to be where nobody's going to bother you. Mm hmm. Must going nice. underground. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, we've got uh, two new episodes of Tough as Nails uh, this weekend. Uh, one week from now, we will know the winner of Tough as Nails Individual Championship. But uh, we have the winners of our team championship. Congratulations. Dirty Hands uh, winning the $60,000. So, great effort once again by them. We'll talk about all that and everything from... Two nights of Tough as Nails on Friday and Sunday. Jess, uh, how'd you feel about this week's batch? Um, I felt like it was educational. I feel mm -hmm. like we've learned so many new vocabulary words. Um, I think there were some there were some physics lessons we had to we had to partake in. I I just I feel like I've come out of this educated. Yeah, I know what a Gabion box is. I know what a hibernaculum <laughs> is. Uh, these are words that the New York Times crossword puzzle has yet to teach me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's a pretty polarizing season, Survivor Gabion, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Some people, uh, you know, really uh, liked uh, that it was just such a, you know, um, savage crew type. Uh, <laughs> it really was. <laughs> like, yeah. Imagine Paul being like, eat your rice. Mm -hmm. Forget you. Go home. Clock out. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, that was a lot from episode seven. And then episode eight, uh, we built playgrounds and then also put together bicycles and finally found the perch for the Iron Eagle statue. So uh, all of that and uh, much more here in these uh, two episodes. So I guess uh, should we dive into Friday night's festivities, Mike? Yes, let's dive into our six foot blasting hole and get into a day at the quarry with the teams. Mm -hmm. As it's interesting, we'll talk about the final team challenge. I think, despite the head to head nature we get with the team challenges, kind of peters out towards the end. That last challenge was not close. It wasn't on the level of a thousand pounds of apples, but relatively closer compared to like the neck and neck finish with the car. So, this is almost feels like from a story perspective, it's considered the finale of the team challenges, considering. Savage Crew, the Bad News Bears, is able to come together and use the right techniques and get the puzzle, which is the great equalizer at the end of the day, to like snatch victor, defeat from the jaws of victory when it comes to dirty hands. 
Yeah. And uh, I just want to give a programming note for our listeners. If you missed it this past week, if you've just been catching our recaps, we had a great conversation with Phil Kogan. Oh, uh, I really, you know, I'm just always just uh, so impressed with the amount of uh, like uh, work and outreach he does for people who are caring about Tough as Nails. And so he joined us to talk about this season that is up in our podcast feed. If you happen to miss that last week. And of course, this episode, as advertised, promised Jess that there would be an explosion at the end of uh, this episode, that there would be the winner of the challenge. It was going to be the most explosive, tough as nails episode ever. The winner of the individual challenge would get to detonate the quarry. Jess, this was my Oppenheimer. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? Your Barbie? (laughs) <laughs> my, my well, I feel like building the playgrounds the Barbie right between the bikes and the kids <laughs> no, really wasn't yes Barbenheimer week on Tough as Nails yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I, I can't believe Ben didn't say now I am become death destroyer of worlds and then hit the button that would have been badass mm-hmm. yeah. is, is Paul when he talks about being December on the calendar is he sort of saying he's like the Tough as Nails Ken we have Ken G <laughs> He's the tough as nails Ken because he's Mr. December. Is that why? Yeah, which I love. First off, uh, I love the interpretation of the fact that back in the day, we did indeed have a tough as nails calendar. We sure did. I still have Mm -hmm. mine sitting around. And Paul trying to uh, give a backdoor application for being on the Zaddy calendar by saying that he's a gift. Listen, my own mind goes to like a dick in the box scenario featuring Paul and my brain just physically shut <laughs> okay. off. Okay. All, right, please. all right. All right. Mike, Mike is going to go to timeout. Um, <laughs> but I do have to ask you, Mike, uh, I feel like that there's very few things that we ever compare between, you know, Phil and Jeff on Survivor. But I do feel like that they both did. They both had a similar moment uh, from this past episode where as the contestants were like walking in that this was very and again something that Jeff did quite a bit in you know seasons 43 and 44 of Survivor like look at you look at you contestants you look amazing if you could see what you look like right now yeah listen I know that I know tough as nails is all about really glorifying the blue collar positions but I don't think we need to put people back at the construction work site (laughs) and cat call contestants (laughs) as they're walking up of like ooh look at you bunch of badasses standing up there good for Paul for again like batting it back and forth with Phil in one of his last stands but yeah it's I like seeing the banter uh Phil definitely I feel like over the course of the season, let alone series, has definitely showcased more of that. But yeah, I also did like Phil almost commenting on because he directs the series. You know, he put them up on that hill as well. He's like, wow, I really did yeah, a great, it's a great entrance. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know, it's a, a great uh, moment to set the scene. It's just like an interesting note that like also like Jeff did uh, something similar and then had commented on like how he loves that shot of the Warriors mm-hmm. coming in. And then also like had that in uh, Survivor uh, this past year. But anyway, the Warriors coming out to play. The Warriors are coming out. And so now for the overtime challenge, you must put bottles on your fingers and try to clink them together. (laughs) And you did it. (laughs) Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Gabion boxes. Uh, Okay, Uh, Jess, uh, this was advertised as a puzzle challenge. I mean, It was partially a puzzle challenge and partially a manual labor challenge. I liked that you had to do a different thing with each one of these boxes, which kind of added to the fun. It made it a little harder to track visually what was going on, but I liked that you had to use a different strategy to fill all three of these things. Yep. And so uh, we are going to have our team uh captains uh cheryl is going to be back as crew boss and cheryl then, is cheryl's the fdr of toughest sales like no, <laughs> term, no term limit no term limit no term limit forever yeah and then uh savage crew uh here's marcus jones and boy the marcus jones catchphrase was in full effect now this week <laughs> If you do a word cloud of everything Marcus has said on Tough as Nails, I'm pretty sure Marcus and Jones would be pretty much 80% of the screen. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of like, you know, like we were talking yesterday, Mike. Is this the equivalent of yelling Kobe when you when you shoot a basket? 
Yeah, exactly. Marcus Jones is calling his own shot here. I love how they even lampshaded in the damn van beforehand where Paul's like, Marcus, we haven't heard a lot from you. And Jessica's like, yeah, Marcus doesn't say shit on this show besides his own name. He's like a Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, it was just so odd that they just kept cutting to him, like smashing rocks also the whole time. Like he, he seemed like he was never even with the group. He was just like out in the yard, just like smashing. Smashing the rocks. I feel like that they didn't even show dirty hands uh, smashing the rocks nearly as much. But Marcus Jones, he's just out there like destroyer of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, the big to do with Savage Crew early on is Carolina literally spiraling. Right. And I actually really like this concept. I like what you said, Jess, about the educational concept of it, even outside of like what Gabe on boxes are, which I've seen many a time along the highway. But couldn't put a name onto it if you paid me a million dollars but how just these panels are put together is one of these things that i just never think about i guess i take for granted and i didn't realize you essentially take as cheryl will talk about like the spiral on a notebook you get in third grade and use it to essentially thread these two pieces together Jess, I found it very soothing. I don't know. i feel like that we've talked about this before did you uh, were you on carpet cleaning tiktok yeah, carpet cleaning TikTok yes. is is lit. I think I could probably watch uh, Gabion uh, Spiral Assembly TikTok. I don't know. Gabion Spiral Assembly TikTok unsettles me because sometimes they don't have it right on the thread mm-hmm. and it gets tangled up, and that that well, kind of this would be all pros me. on TikTok. Okay. If yeah, it was this, all pros, maybe. This yeah. wouldn't be Paul walking over to Carolina and saying, oh my God, what happened over <laughs> here? He did say like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Funny. Yeah, but I like how initially he, he like he put up the poker face eventually, but the first thing he said when he walked over was like, oh, geez, Louise, I'll just screw this one up, Carolina. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so yeah, Paul did, ha- he had a good technique though, Mike. Yeah, that Paul ends up, I think, being one of the main forces behind this. Good, because unfortunately he will cluck out in this episode that it's interesting to see the diverging paths of him and Kenji, who both step up and say, yeah, I know we like to do these things in pairs. Don't worry. It's all on me. Paul, I think, steps forward, right? Doesn't he say, oh, I can put this together in my head. I've done it a bunch of times. I don't need the diagrams. And unfortunately, while Kenji fails as he steps up, Paul ends up getting his own crowning achievement and is able to keep Savage Crew in the game by not only putting together his boxes with ease, but then being able to help Carolina where she is very clearly struggling with hers. Yeah, Jess, it was interesting. They set it up where it was like, oh, Paul is doing it where he has like put the box together. And ideally you want to do it where like the two sides are flat against each other and then like open it up. Uh, But no, Paul was fine. Yeah. I I mean, sometimes that's a red herring. Sometimes it's like, well, we told you how to do it. And if you don't do it that way, you're going to screw it up. But sometimes it's like, oh, you found another way to do it. Good for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It seemed like that Dirty Hands was on to something. They got the assembly line going. Uh, Mike, Carly really seems to love ants. Yeah. Carly can low key become some sort of biologist or zoologist perhaps if she decides maybe we'll get this next time on animal house style at the end of next week's finale and it's like carly actually quit her job and joined the toronto zoo full time because she loves talking about the power of ants and the power of teamwork in particular i don't know she's just incredibly cheerful about seemingly every piece of life that exists upon this planet and as cheryl said before it's inspirational yeah do we know, is, is that confirmed that is how ants uh, move things? Um, they, they have such little legs. I'd have to imagine that it's easier to pass things from one ant to another. Yeah. I just wonder if anybody I, fact checks these things. I, I've seen ants do that. Okay. So uh, pretty good. Okay. Uh, and uh, this was uh, this was pretty close. Uh, we were getting down to it. Uh, both teams ended up having two. Phil had a, a good line, I thought, when he said that both teams are down to the wire. Oh, he was sitting on that one for a mm-hmm. long time. Yeah, look, I love that. And what was the the bike one? Right, where he said, it's no pressure. Actually, it's all about pressure. That might have been actually one of my favorite Philisms of the entire season. <laughs> yeah, he, he's uh, in mid season form here. So you're saying that if we were going to say that this was the best thing he said, that he spoke too soon? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, certainly in the bicycle challenge. 
Um, Jess, what else stood out to you here from uh, this competition? Um, well, I, I loved the attempt made to brute force the lid onto the box when it didn't fit. Yeah. Because as as Kenji rightly observes, we can't just take all the rocks out and put them back in. There's got to be another way around it. I liked the little thing they used to check and see if the gaps yeah. were were small enough. Um, that was kind of a fun looking tool. That's the kind of thing that like my kid would pick up and take away from yeah. the job site. Yeah, I think it's called the, what the gab gauge. Uh, <laughs> where gap you gauge. Poke it in to make sure there are no gaps in it. But yeah, I mean, it's sort of the equivalent, Rob, dirty hands by the end of Tony errantly shuffling that slide puzzle in Survivor Kagayan of like, you're not using your brain whatsoever. You're just trying to use pure brute force. And I guess I'll give it to Dirty Hands. They were apparently six inches away from doing so, but Savage Crew wins because they do the puzzle the way it's supposed to be done at the end of the day. Yeah, I do like that moment of like desperation where it's like, well, we don't have enough time to actually redo the thing. So uh, this is like Todd, like just bashing a thing with a cinder block time of just like, okay, well, this is, <laughs> this is it. This is like uh, all hands on deck. Now this is our only option. All, all dirty hands on deck. Should we talk about the Carolina stuff for a second? Because Phil, when he came on last week, teased that like there's going to be this moment of redemption for Carolina. And that was something that was sitting in the back of my head during these two episodes. Do you think it's sort of this like mini arc where in the first episode she says, I don't do teamwork. I don't ask people for help. And then she learned that she had to ask Dustin and Paul for help with the Gabion basket. And then by the second episode, she's like, Marcus Jones, use your tallness to help me put up the zip line. Do we think that's it for Carolina? Or do you think he was alluding to an even, even bigger moment during the Battle of the Trades next week? Well, I mean, it was such an emotional moment for her. And yeah, we can get pretty emotional on this, but I think we focused in on Carolina learning something. And I think maybe that's what we're alluding to because she does seem to come out of this. And I actually, I thought this was an interesting this is an interesting note from a gender perspective, because I think in some ways it is very gendered um, in that if you are a woman working in a male dominated field, you are kind of conditioned not to ask people for anything because it mm. makes you look like you don't know what you're doing. And they people are already coming into this with a preconceived notion that you don't know what you're doing. So if you ask for help, it's almost reinforcing that idea. So there's a lot that you have to unlearn. Whereas if you know, she's already proven herself as someone who's very competent. If she's asking a question, it's for a good reason. And in this group, she's learning that it's safe to ask these people for help. And I think that was, I think that was a really powerful moment for her. I can't, it's hard. I mean, hard pressed to say what could happen next week that would be even more powerful. Okay. Well, for Savage Crew, they get a much needed win <laughs> And um, this was like kind of a wild moment where that then they're like uh, dancing in the uh, like the gravel of like, uh, I feel like that that's probably like not ideal, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, the idea of detritus getting into their eyes is not the best, especially for those that are facing the individual competition. Maybe that's the reason why Paul ends up losing is he of all people is the one that's saying, give me some dirt. Get the gravel in. I'm dancing in it. Mm -hmm. I, I love it now. Uh, and so he was the one that was diving in there face first, perhaps quite literally. Maybe he got so blinded and cut up by all of the pieces of gravel that were flying in his direction as he was Treating dancing. Like, like no confetti. Yeah. Exactly. That when he comes to the next challenge, he's just so worn down. He can't see anything in front of him. Mm -hmm. yeah, this this was shades of the gasoline fight. <laughs> <laughs> A freak gravel dance accident. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so, uh, and also a badge of honor for Marcus Jones, who gets the much deserved win for Marcus Jones. He, don't forget, he is Marcus Jones, okay? He might have the most name recognition from anyone in Toughest Tales history just because they've said his name every about 30 minutes or so on the well, show. They're in the van after and they're talking about Marcus Jones and then they're calling him Mr. Jones as like, uh, did the Counting Crows show up? <laughs> <laughs> that was the uh, the overtime challenge, right? Yeah. You have to count all the crows. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought Mr. Jones was on uh, Toughest Nails season four. No, that was Mr. Frost. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's, That's their ship name. Different, different mister. Um, I also liked in the damn van. I think the Paul and Aquila dynamic is one of my other favorites in Savage Crew. Where like 
Paul will say something so, I wouldn't say like objectively false, but like something that is almost too encompassing. Akila will correct him, and then he'll just completely pivot into it. Like here, he's like, we did everything right. And Akila goes, yeah, except for the beginning. He goes, yup, except for the beginning. <laughs> so the fact that he is just able to, he's, he's done this before with like- An improviser, yep. Mike. Yes, and. Yeah, he, really, he loves to yes, and. Again, that's why he did so well with Phil talking about that calendar pose. <laughs> Yeah. All right. This was a big weekend for Kenji. We got a lot of uh, Kenji material throughout uh, both of the episodes and some real Kenji highlights. Uh, but, you know, we get some Kenji backstory uh, here about how he feels like he let the team down. Yeah. Uh, well, the minute we start going here, this was where I started to make my I started to put my bets down on who's going into overtime. OK. And as soon as I saw Kenji at this point, I'm like, okay, he's either going to win the next individual or he's going into overtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was not wrong. Okay. Um, so he's gonna, he's gonna, uh, make an appearance in the overtime, uh, later on. Uh, and then really, I think then, uh, the next episode is uh, a real showcase for Kenji. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's why I guess this format ends up working well in this aspect, right? Because we see Kenji at his lowest and arguably his highest of being able to bounce back. Plus we get a nice contained story from Kenji. He talks about how when he was growing up, he was, you know, this very bad kid who didn't really have a lot of adult supervision. And then when his father died, he found mentors in the people around him that actually believe there was some good in him. And I think especially he doesn't talk a lot about it, but I do believe he mentions at one point that he is a father too. And that's something we don't really explore as of yet. But I feel like that has to be such an interesting dynamic from his own character as well as someone who had very unorthodox adult supervision, probably compared to so many people out there, including his competitors, like how he looks at that concept with his own children is probably something he adapts a lot to his own life. Yeah, well, we found out in the next episode, he's uh, hanging out at the bicycle store uh, all the time also. Yeah, his yeah. adaptability is kind of like that's that's like his one adjective. If everybody gets one adjective, I think adaptable is his. And that it makes me really wish I want to see someone like that win tough as nails as opposed to like the physically strongest person. Yeah, um, that's always the better story. I am glad that everything went okay at the bike shop because I know different strokes has taught us. <laughs> it can be a little bit dicey. Oh, you don't want to be the kid hanging out in the bike shop. Yeah, exactly. Somebody heard that. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Very special episode of Tough as Nails. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. All right. Uh, let's talk about the individual challenge here. Uh, you have to fill up the blast holes. Uh, Kenji got out of the gate hot, Jess. Uh, that uh, He was uh, talking about how his cardio felt like that that was going to be the difference for him. He's a rocket. I was worried about that when he said that, because I was like, no, he's going to gas out because this is one where you have to run back and forth. Like you're basically doing suicide drills and mm -hmm. then you're doing suicide gr drills with a hundred pounds of gravel mm -hmm. and you can't, you can't sprint this kind of thing out. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations on tough as nails this season about whether you can call something a sprint or a marathon, but this one, this was a marathon and he started sprinting a little bit too soon. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess the question is from a design perspective. And again, Phil shed so much light in our chat about the design of challenges, incorporating fairness into it, uh, particularly when it came to that ATV challenge. Do you think that the holes should have been differently calibrated? Because I think they all had to fill six feet of gravel, which is essentially like a bucket and a half. And I think where Kenji ends up getting slowed down is that he is quick, but his pace is fine. It's just that he can't carry as much gravel as everybody else. So he's making more trips. Do you think instead, much like we calibrate a lot to weight and height across other challenges, this should have been like, okay, you have to fill a hole that's the size of yourself or something that the shorter people who probably don't have as much physical strength would have less gravel to carry? Or do you think it's, well, for quick people, they have that strength element to balance it out like we saw with Kenji? I mean, Mike, here's the problem with that. These holes are very carefully calibrated for high-level explosives. And I don't want to know what happens if you mess with that. <laughs> I don't think this is a situation where you can mess with it. Like, what happens if you put the wrong amount of gravel in there or you put too much? I guess too much would be the one I'd be worried about. And you end up, like, blowing up the crew of Tough as Nails. That'd be really bad. I don't know. These were not operable blasting holes, were they? <laughs> I mean, 
they they blew the thing up. They were operable blasting holes. And mm-hmm. no, that, no, no, that was a far away cliff. They weren't saying like, all right, now we're gonna blow up your. No, work. they went to another place. They set those charges, and then mm-hmm. it, Phil was very clear: you're going to get to blow up the thing that everybody is setting. I, I, I guess so. Yeah, I didn't even think about. It. I thought it was a totally separate location. I see. I, I just don't think that I, I know they have done some things where, OK, this is calibrated for your weight. But I feel like that, you know, if these holes are six feet deep and that's what they would use, I just feel like that they're probably not likely to. That's not something they would change up based on the competitors. I think it's just like, OK, this is what you have to do. These are we're filling up the blast holes. We just need to give Ben and Todd more disadvantages because these guys are just like, Todd's about to go into overtime in the next episode, but these guys are just absolutely waylaying so many of these. I mean, listen, Todd, we saw not once but twice over these couple episodes that like had these small things not happened, he would be winning so many times, which is awesome. Unfortunately, with losing Paul here, all of the older contestants are eliminated from the competition. But look at Todd representing the older crew hanging strong and thriving, it seems, even in that cardiovascular element. Mm hmm. Yeah, this was a a good showcase here for Ben, who uh, is a little bit up and down in these individual contests. I know he has uh, won a bunch of them, but sometimes I think he gets screwed up on certain things. But this was like a strength challenge. It seemed like he could just like beast out on. Yeah, he was. It was it was very uniquely, I think. It's one of those things where you look at him and you're like, yeah, this guy is definitely in the finals and he's probably going to win the whole season. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's yeah, and that's my thing as to like, I say in jest, like, oh, let's make things harder for Ben and Todd. I will say something that I do like better from last season over this season, which I've been really enjoying. Last season, everyone went into overtime that whether it's just the cast or the individual challenges were so mixed in the results that everyone ended up going into overtime at least once over the season. We're now approaching the final five where Ben and Dustin are like so incredibly consistent. And yes, they do have times where they fall to the bottom, but neither one of them have gone into overtime. So last season was more of an aberration, but I do like it a bit better as kind of a showcase of individual skills if I can have it rather than the usual thing we get, including this season of yeah, there's a couple of people going into the finale that haven't faced overtime yet because they're so good. They're not battle tested, though, Mike. That's true, though. We'll get into trouble under pressure. Yeah, but we'll get into the gauntlet of it all. I mean, I think Ben is, to Jess's point, in a really good position to do well. I think Kenji could be a really interesting competitor, too, where Mm -hmm. obviously he would have the speed. I guess the question is, when you're doing the sledgehammer your way through drywall, is that something that can slow him down, or does he have enough to power through? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, he'll figure out a way to get it done if he's in that position. Uh, But let's... uh, you know, uh, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves and uh, break down the finale. Uh, we still have to talk through uh, this uh, individual challenge. Ultimately, uh, Paul and Kenji are going to be in the bottom too. Mike, was there anything else that stood out to you about this challenge? I mean, it is interesting that Todd does lampshade. Oh, I haven't won any individual challenges. And you think, to Jess's point about editing, okay, this is his day. But what they seem to highlight is like, Todd is consistently good, but something happens that keeps him out of the top. Next episode, is enough, it's enough to like basically disqualify him from the challenge. But here, he's basically in first place. It's him versus Ben. And then Todd realizes that he missed the blasting hole. And so he falls all the way to third. So I wonder in the Todd story, which has been definitely lesser compared to a lot of people on this season, what this moment means. I feel like this is one of the first times that he got a peak in terms of, okay, this guy has a lot of capabilities to him. He just isn't winning things. And to have him fail yet again, I think, was an interesting story beat. Well, Mike, they're telling the exact same story about Jessica most of the time. True. Like, she is going in and saying, I'm right up there at the top every single time, and this might be the week I win, and it's still not yet. So I I think maybe part of that is that we're just, there's only one person you can give that story to at a time. Yeah, but I think the thing is, in my opinion, one of them has to make the final three. I don't think both of them are going to do so because, again, I do think Ben, Kenji, maybe Dustin are going to be those other two people. So I feel like one of our, you know, uh, Susan Lucci's is going to be the one Mm -hmm. standing there at the end. I don't think they both are. 
Um, Mike, going back to the beginning of the season, uh, you uh, really called your shot of that. You said that you felt like that these were the most mismatched, tough as nails teams uh, we ever saw. Do you feel vindicated in your prognosis after the first week? I mean, I'll I'll admit to, uh, you know, patting myself on the back a smidge, hopefully not activating any sort of blasting caps, particularly with how things ended. As I mentioned before, it was not close. And I think it was dirty hands operating at its best. I will give so many ups to Savage Crew for when they were able to keep things close and sometimes eke out victories. But I do think, especially when they were celebrating, I thought back to my comments the first week and I looked around and I'm like, yeah, there are a lot of really good experienced people on this team. Uh, in fact, I would say that like, I would probably say one of the dirty hands people is going to win this season between Ben Todd or Kenji. It feels like there's a lot there in terms of skills and edit uh, nothing against Jessica or, uh, or against uh, uh, against Dustin, but it just feels like it makes sense from their perspective. And so it's understandable to me that despite the fact they didn't win it here at the quarry, that it was just an inevitability before they took it at the end. Let's talk about the snake pit. Okay. Jess, uh, what do you think about this as an individual challenge? This is not something that we probably had on our bingo card for toughest nails challenges this season. Oh, we definitely didn't, but I, I love it. I think it's, I think it's great that we're calling out that we're not, you know, we're minimizing our environmental impact when we do this kind of stuff. And I, I loved the little peek into animal behavior, you know, I, I'm sure Carly did too. She seems like mm -hmm. the type. Um, yeah, wasn't that Carly who was holding the snake? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was, it was a fun task. It was one, I don't think there was, a terrible amount of finesse and skill that you needed in order to build one of these things, but it was tied to the, it was tied to the area and tied to the activity in a way that some of the previous uh, overtime challenges have been a little bit tenuous about. Yeah. Don't you think they should have gotten like a rubber snake out there and like get to like put that into the home, just like they had like the rubber alligator in the sewer last oh, yeah. season. Get in your hole snake. <laughs> I did it, Phil. I won. Put the snake into the hole. Uh, well, now they're in at eight o'clock. I don't know if they yes. can get away with that. Uh, put but, it into yeah. its home. Yeah, but I, I really enjoyed this. And again, this was closer than you may think. I think the sad thing for Paul is that again, the dude is as strong as a horse, but unfortunately, a lot of these tasks were cardio focused. Mm -hmm. And he reminded us last week, he was receiving chemo less than a year ago. And it just takes a long time for your body to recuperate from it. Sometimes you never do get back to your full self. And so I give him so much credit for not only staying in it and like wheezing his way through all of these intense challenges, but from what it seems like, getting pretty damn close. What was it? One roll of sod that separated him and Kenji. If Kenji had like fallen or done something wrong or forgotten the hole again, Paul actually could have pulled it off here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, this was very close. Came down to uh, the last little bit of sod. Uh, but ultimately, Paul is going to clock out and Kenji advances. Is it sort of live by the sod, die by the sod? Is this the revenge of Paul doing all the weird stuff with the sod in the first week? <laughs> Maybe. Um, so ultimately then, all right, but Ben, we didn't forget about you. You get to push the magic button and blow up the quarry. And uh, Jess, this was pretty uh, epic. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised at Ode to Joy as the <laughs> yeah. as mm -hmm. the music here. Like I maybe 1812 Overture is a little bit too on the nose. But hmm. what happened to our spec mix? Why didn't that play? <laughs> mm -hmm. You wanted that to uh like have with the explosion? Yeah. Let's see. Uh Isn't that how spec mix is made? You just blow up a quarry? That's true. And then you just like run out there with a bag and everybody catches as much spec mix as they can. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they do it. That is yeah. a mental image, Rob. Yeah, that was a little bit like the Savage Crew celebration at the end of the first <laughs> challenge. Yeah. So uh, there you go. And uh, that's uh, our Friday night edition of Tough as Nails. And we pick things up on Sunday night and uh, we are going to... Uh, with start off with uh, was not expecting this 
an ode, not to joy, an ode to dirty hands from Yessi. Yeah, I mean, is this in line with the dirty hands rap we got in the first season? Is dirty hands like the more left brain team and Savage Crew's the more right brain team by comparison? Yes, that uh, dirty hands is much more focused on the arts. Yeah, well, you have to get your hands dirty to make a painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Boy, uh, Yessie's poem, really, Cheryl was moved. Everybody was really... Now, did Yessie have that written down or that was just off of uh, from off the cuff? No, it wasn't any sort of uh, Semhar-esque beat poetry. I'm pretty, I think she wrote it down ahead of time and then she kind of just read it as... I don't know if it was a poem. It's more of like an open letter to mm-hmm. her team, uh, but obviously it was something that meant a lot. Yessie is unfortunately one of these people who I think gets eliminated second, and though she will see the thing that eliminated her later in the episode has mm-hmm. kind of like her receded, receded into the background, especially when you have someone like Cheryl consistently being the leader on Dirty Hands. It doesn't give a lot of opportunity for other eliminated people to step up. So I'm glad she did have this moment to kind of remind us like, yeah, I'm still on the show as well. Okay, so uh, we are going to make a visit out to uh, the land of some indigenous people of Canada. Uh, we have a, uh, a land acknowledgement as well. So uh, good job from the uh, Tough as Nails team uh, to uh, highlight uh, this part of, uh, of the uh, you know, uh, Canadian story. And so uh, we get to uh, uh, get a, uh, uh, like, we're going to spend the day here. Yeah, just I, I feel like we see this a lot in Amazing Race Canada. They just had a challenge about this last week, right? Does this feel the most Canadian part of this Tough as Nails season is bringing in a First Nations What about Martin chief, Short? I mean, listen, uh, perhaps a silver medal along with the silver hair of like acknowledging the land from whence they came, including the, the prayer and everything. I mean, certainly it's more powerful than the Martin Short acknowledgement. Um, but yeah, I... Unfortunately, this is not something we do in the U.S. very much, so it did feel very Canadian by that metric. Uh, But I thought it was very powerful. I liked that we're taking some time to get to know the locals and especially um, to give something back to the community in this way is a really – it's something that I feel like Tough as Nails does a pretty good job of overall, but I always like to see it. Yeah, I really like the materials being provided by seemingly the sponsors. This is not full Canadian reality TV like we're used to on Big Brother and the Amazing Race with like being upfront with the sponsors. But it seems like one of the ones that popped up here is something that was brought up to us last week, right? About the Lowe's looking store that they shopped in that ended up providing wood here. The unfortunately named from a 2023 perspective, Rona, the hardware store. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, not ideal, <laughs> not ideal. But uh, look, uh, that you know, thank thanks to Rona for uh, look. If it wasn't for Rona, we probably wouldn't have had as much tough as nail. So <laughs> that's a good point. We have that going for us. Okay. You know who isn't thinking Rona Freight Train? <laughs> <laughs> so wow. <laughs> Um, Akila is going to be the crew boss for the Savage Crew, and Cheryl, what else is new, is going to be the crew boss for Dirty Hands. And so we're going to build two identical uh, playgrounds. And really, Jess, uh, when it comes to building playgrounds for children, uh, ideally, you want to go as fast as possible, right? Yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of points <laughs> I need say, to I'm bring joking. up. Phil, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> well, there okay, were safety starters, judges there. I'm getting a call right now from Phil Kogan. <laughs> Phil, He's coming on the line. <laughs> it was a joke. I was joking. Okay, you know maybe you maybe you guys want to walk on eggshells to keep Phil from coming onto the podcast, but I have different priorities. Yeah, I'm just gonna tell it like it is, <laughs> okay. and if Phil's got a problem, All right, with it, he can come back on the. He can come back on the podcast. So just throwing that out there. I don't have a problem with Phil coming on the podcast. Um, but I wanted to talk about wooden playground equipment. Yeah. One thing. Splinters. Like, yeah. Splinters. This is something like there are a few wooden playgrounds left in New York City, mm-hmm. but they are all like 30 years old and showing their age in a big way. Like mm-hmm. every time they renovate a playground in Central Park, for instance, it comes back and it's made of like chrome and plastic. Yeah. And I thought it was... I guess we're trying to blend into the landscape a little bit with our playground, but I thought it was an odd choice for a new playground to make it all out of logs. Um, 
I also, I need to talk about Aquila losing the piece to the bridge structure. I'm like, yeah, I'll just use a different piece. It's going to be totally fine. <laughs> Not only that, a giant nail. <laughs> Come on, five-year-old, start climbing. Just ignore the giant sharp piece of metal. Stick Look, it there. Yeah. Hold it all together. It's going to race against time. <laughs> yeah, I also wondered, like, because obviously Savage Crew loses. I think they don't. They only have like two pieces assembled by the time Dirty Hands is done. Would they have even passed the check? Would they the couldn't have. Really walk by and be like, "No, we're not going to leave this nail sticking out of the structure." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a good point. Certainly. Um, you know, maybe uh, part of the issue here is that you know uh, Jessica tells us uh, she. Uh, doesn't like diagrams. Jasmine was not going to follow uh, the instructions. Yeah, and this it's so interesting because we sort of get a mini puzzle in here, right? Where there is the intersecting log structure where things have to be stacked exactly on top of each other that it's almost like a logic puzzle you have to work your way through of, okay, B goes first and then E under it that ends up being, I think, the biggest stopping point for both teams. But I think we got to talk about... <laughs> Kenji's certified badass. Kenji's gambit. Here. Yes. It's wild that he's like, don't worry. I'm I'm gonna get redemption here. I'm gonna do the zip line all by myself. But everyone's like, uh, you sure about that, Kenji? And Kenji's moment where he's in confessional has smiles the biggest Cheshire ch- ch- cat grin you can imagine. It says, oops, I forgot to tell Phil that I assembled zip lines in the past. Yes. It's like, I was waiting for extreme ways to drop and press to flashback. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was like his Slumdog Millionaire episode of that he assembled zip lines. He worked in the bike shop. I mean, everything was coming up Kenji today. They do a comprehensive background check. Does Kenji not know that? Or he didn't disclose it. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know that this is going to change anything that happens. Like, are you feeling like you got one over on Phil here? I I don't really understand. Um, Yeah, I mean, it seems wild to think that like half the challenges are like, well, okay, I know you're an iron worker. You'll be very comfortable here. It's not like they wouldn't have done this challenge if (laughs) you're not disqualified. If you have experience with zip lines, we know Kenji's going to do this lightning quick. We can't have him do it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. What is the other team even going to do at that point? They can't be like, oh, he can't do that. And Kenji loses nothing by telling literally everybody, hey, I know how to install a zip line. So go let me do my thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's what is well. anybody else going to do? No one would give him a second glance if he said, oh, by the way, I make a lot of zip lines. Then there would be no consternation. But I think it makes for a much better TV moment where everyone is doubting him because of the puzzle, his surety of being able to assemble the zip line lickety split. And he does it with a plum by essentially doing like the no look three point hook at the end of it of like yeah it's fine i did the half court miracle and i didn't yeah. even need to tell anybody that i've been practicing maybe it. this was kind of like a hedge because that if you tell everybody you know how to do it and then you go up there and then you ultimately have a problem then it's like oh kenji he said he knew how to do this but it's like uh like i i got i think i could do this I think it's a little I bit this. yeah a yeah. little bit less a five hole situation than a kelly wigglesworth river rafting situation <laughs> yeah you yeah. sucked on that dame kenji mm-hmm. yeah all right well <laughs> ultimately uh as yesi uh comes down on the zip line uh she rings the bell and we get a win for Dirty Hands. Congratulations. The Toughest Nails Season 5 Team Champion. And it's not really represented here, but I feel like Akila's approach coming out of this challenge and the overtime as well is like surprisingly positive considering that Akila was known to be the biggest voice against like, let's not rest on our laurels. Let's not say we, we did everything we could do because the result is that we failed. Again, I don't know if this is a lesson that she took away from her experience here and it just wasn't talked about as much, but I was very surprised that she comes out of this challenge being like, good job, everybody. It was all we could do, 110%, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like a completely different Aquila than what we've seen. It's a new Savage crew. Just in time for it to be done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they learned from dirty hands. That's the story of the season, Mike. 
Yeah, I suppose so. They aspire to be them. And I guess they have one final challenge to at least earn some extra money from it. And they can prove themselves individually, too, which Akilah definitely talks up, right? That she works best as an individual. So maybe I should be able to make that back up of like, listen, we lost the war, but we can win a sort of makeup battle later on. Okay. All right. So Dirty Hands, uh, they win the team championship. Uh, we head into our individual championship. Uh, we get some more Todd backstory. Uh, today, Todd's doing it for his mom. His mom passed away, I believe, in 2000. And so uh, she was very tough. And so Todd is going to be doing it for her uh, that uh, he ultimately will go to the overtime, but uh, come out victorious as we are building bicycles. Now I'm looking to get a bicycle. So I was like, uh, oh, I, this is uh, very interesting to me. I have also had to put together bicycles. Uh, yep. So I feel like this was mm -hmm. the first individual task that I feel like, all right, I have a shot today. Now, would you tell them though that Rob? No, because uh, Dominic's bicycle that I had to put together uh, recently, um, I have had, I've struggled with it. I'm just saying I've done it. You've not said you've done it well. I haven't done it well. Yeah, yeah. So Nicole did have to come in and then make some additional repairs after I uh, did Dominic's bicycle. But the tire pressure, a-okay. Tire pressure is good. Yeah. Good. You want to pull it. You want to pull a Todd and just explode the tire. Maybe the reason why Todd did it was because he was so angry. He didn't get to blow up the quarry last episode. He's like, I'm blowing something up. Yeah. <laughs> just, I didn't notice this all season. And I don't know if this is even new for tough as nails that it seems like that the money is going up every week. Like the prize pot of like it last episode, it was seven K this episode was eight K. They did that last season too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There, there was a point like Phil was very clear with us that he started giving out cash prizes on these challenges to kind of sweeten the deal. And then to make them progressively sweeter over time, I think he said something about that last season. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's been a little up and down this time because we've had a couple of pair challenges where the amount of money went up, but then it was split between two people. And so it is a little wonky. But yeah, they have added in a thousand dollars every time to, I think, represent like it's getting more and more high stakes. Progressive to jackpot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, that might be another sponsor coming in. Maybe they insure all the cars that they're fixing up here. I really enjoyed <laughs> this challenge. It's one of those like deceptively simple things where, again, it doesn't really apply to a specific trade. It's more of like, to Rob's point, everyone can and has to do this at some point in their life. But it might prove to be one of the trickiest individual challenges we've had so far this season. You know, these instructions that you get with the bicycle, uh, not great. Not great. Yeah. I, all the running around, I thought, was was a little bit extra. We didn't need that. You don't need to have to go back to the work whistle and take a number like you're at the deli. No. <laughs> it no, seemed we, a little extra. No, I loved Jessica edging out uh dustin because that felt so amazing race right of uh yep. margie and luke getting shoved at the clue box by jen and keisha yes it did yep. like a little bit more sporting of course because i don't think dustin would call anybody a b but <laughs> just would you have liked it if they could have ridden the bicycle back to yes the especially <laughs> especially the balance bike especially the tiny balance mm -hmm, bike for right, three-year-olds little tiny bicycle yeah all right like, I, no I wouldn't like it if they got to. I would like it if they had to and <laughs> yeah. they had to ride the tiny bike. Yeah. OK. Um, so, yeah. Um, Kenji also uh, wanted to work in the bike shop that they said no. He said, can I just come in here for free? They said, OK, Kenji, fine. You can be the bike store apprentice. Now, the one thing I'll teach you, though, in case you'll ever lose use this in your life, the left pedal goes on the <laughs> other way. It's not right. Don't tell anybody. This <laughs> is a secret. Do, don't disclose this to reality TV producers. <laughs> don't tell them anything, Kenji. Yeah. Um, Akila was struggling this whole way through. Uh, just she was like losing bike parts, like her the wheels were falling off. This was tough for her. Yeah, I well, Akila does not have kids, correct? Mm -hmm. So maybe that's it. Like maybe she's just never put one of these together before. Yeah, I think it's really down to like her lack of expertise when it comes to putting together a bike. And it was just something that she felt very uncomfortable with. And I think, unfortunately, she's at a point in the competition where there is very little wiggle room to like not do well 
in the challenge. Uh, I mean, Ben is only saved by the grace of Todd's tire freaking exploding from going into overtime. I yeah. think the two of them who are clearly the most inexperienced with bikes, I think it's interesting as well that like they're the only two non-parents left as well. It is interesting that the ones who would have the least time working on a bike and knowing roughly what the mechanics are would be the ones that were in the bottom. Can we talk about Todd's tire? Jess, did Todd do anything wrong or do you think he got a faulty tire? I don't think it was faulty. I think they show that he's got the tire a little bit off track. Mm. And then when he puts the tube in, the the tire's not containing the tube all the way. And so then you have the opportunity for the tube to like bulge out and explode. I thought the ingenuity of trying to fix it on the fly was pretty interesting. <laughs> it was pretty I interesting. Was, like, this, this isn't going to work, is it? Yeah. No, I was waiting for it to because the entire season, right? How many times has Ben said that Todd is a MacGyver? Maybe it's the CBS synchronicity. I was waiting for it to happen, for like him to actually eke his way out of overtime, barely hobble across the finish line. But no, he was pretty dead in the water as he was like trying to tie a knot into yeah. it. I am a little surprised that they didn't have like spare tires. I don't know if they were purposely accounting for, well, if you blow something up or if like something breaks, then that's it, you're out. It was a little bit of like a womp womp ending, especially because Todd was doing so well. I will also say, you know, his moment was a stinger to cut to commercial. He probably has the most mild one with him just very simply saying, yeah, I've got an issue over here. <laughs> After a tire exploded in his face, like, no, you want the big, oh my God, this is terrible. And Todd's like, ah, oh, jeepers, <laughs> that's a bummer. <laughs> so I also got thrown off by there was I, I thought this was like a some foreshadowing or lampshade lampshade uh, hanging as we said earlier when the Savage Crew was in like oh what a dream it would be Dirty Hands has never had to have two Dirty Hands people in the OT wouldn't that be something if that could happen today but nope <laughs> not it was not happen. to be it's not to be. <laughs> It's like, okay. Yeah, that yeah. would be nice, I guess. And, and Ben versus Todd would have also been really interesting because, again, these two guys have also been talking about, like, well, the other one's my biggest threat, very much like a Murph and Danny situation. Yeah. So it would have been really interesting to have the two of them face off against each other. And I think, would again, go to show, it doesn't matter how good you're doing in the competition, one bad day can just end it for you. Yep. Okay, uh, ultimately, Kenji is going to be the winner. Uh, and then we have a... Uh, uh, Dustin, Jessica, they're going to get through. Uh, and it comes down to who's going to be the first to finish out of Akila, Todd, and Ben. And Ben, even though he had so many problems with his tires being filled, he gets the job done. Just edging out Akila. I, I wanted to also call attention to like the one area of the Northern Hemisphere where righty tidy, lefty Lucy does not apply. So I... I thought that was pretty fun because we frequently joked on here about righty tidy lefty loosing being like the bare minimum of things you need to know to go on tough as nails. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, it's got an asterisk on it, by the way. Yeah. Now, the question is, when we cover tough as nails Australia, is it the opposite? Is it like how the water flows in the opposite direction down under? Well, that's what I want to know. I've never been. Well, I've been to the southern hemisphere. I didn't think to look. Tough as nails Australia is happening, right? Yeah, they officially announced casting for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've maybe. probably got their own mnemonics for that. And it's all like Aussie slang. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Lefty Logie. Tough as nails reality contest is happening. So uh be on the lookout for that. So Do we have to cover that? Um I I well, I think that Shannon gets first dibs, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm. If it has Australia in the title, yes, by contract, she has to get first rights to claiming. But we'll also see when it falls into the calendar as well. If it's casting right now, probably won't be filming until the end of the year. Maybe they'll air it in the spring. Now, the question is, we know Australian reality television. Rob, you become quite intimate with it yes, as of late. Yes. Are they going to air it like all over the course of a week and a half? Oh, you mean like how they air it in the United States? I mean, that's true as well. Maybe they were just warming up to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are, are, are they, and are there going to be 43 episodes and they bring back people that got eliminated and then like every single challenge has eight components and then some of the people sit out and some of the people come back. Uh, I, I, I've It'll been be conditioned. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've been conditioned to expect the worst out of Australian reality TV. Another Australian reality show means another chance for George 
to make his way onto our <laughs> yes, screens again. Yes, that would be great. Uh, I also wonder. He would be, he'd be like Aquila on steroids, by the way. He'd be like, well, you're just all bloody terrible. Mm hmm. <laughs> I also wonder, will they keep the Savage crew in the dirty hands or they would let the Australian teams come up with their own original names? So uh, lots to see in Tough as Nails, Australia. Anyway, so all right, let's go to our OT. And now it's going to be Akila and Todd. Akila had the great moment in the OT a couple of episodes ago and now taking on Todd. And uh, boy, these Iron Eagles uh, have returned, uh, much to the chagrin of Yessi. So I have a I have a new note, Ooh. a new suggestion of what they need to do with Tough as Nails. Yes. Like we need to have a theme season of Tough as Nails where every single challenge builds on the previous challenge. Ooh. Like this is like the Tough as Nails, this old house. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing takes place. It's like takes place inside a house and they have to do a different thing every week that all contributes toward like building this like Habitat for Humanity house or something. Ooh. And this would be. This is sort of like, like, hey, remember that eagle you built? We're now going to put this eagle on a perch and your challenge this week is to build a perch. Like, I want the whole season to be like that. Interesting. I think it's a really fun idea. I love the eagles showing back up. It seems like they have found their final resting place. So unfortunately, they won't show up (laughs) in the gauntlet, which would have been really great as well. But seems like they're good to go. And those perches look to be very sturdily built too, down to the wire. I mean, this is by far the closest overtime challenge we've had, right? It was very exciting in the end because it was like between Todd and Aquila uh, that there was like, uh, they had to think out like, okay, if I take six steps over there and yeah. get the stool, like that's going to be the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, That's the was- wild thing. Yes. If Aquila did not just make the gut decision to go for that step ladder, she would have won, which is wild to think about. I love how we've had so many challenges this season that have like an extra thing in it. And it's like, oh, it turns out you don't actually have to use that thing. It's just there. Like the pressure washer on the ATV challenge and the stepladder here. It's like, it's there, but do you really need it? Mm -hmm. And if you know the thing, you know that you probably don't. Yeah. So ultimately, uh, Totters is going to come out victorious here in the OT. Yeah, but I will give it to Akila, not only for being a fantastic character who had like a surprisingly emotional arc, as we saw last week, but also, as she remarks, nearly beating someone who has been working with tools longer than she has been alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so over 40 years of working with the tools. Yeah, uh, and really, it was rotten luck to be in the tool challenge with the guy who's worked for the tools for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she was beating him for a good portion of time. It was really seemed to come down to like her taking the extra three seconds to grab the stepladder and then her dropping one of the, the bolts at the end of it that ended up having Todd just eking her out at the end. Yeah. Yeah, this was tough. I mean, uh, the last OT that she had really was in her wheelhouse. I mean, I think that she probably would smoke Todd in uh, that one, the Cement Mason one. So ultimately, you know, it's a little bit luck of the draw, but um, Todd's uh, going on to the final five. And he was, you know, appropriately jubilant. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's great. (laughs) Real happy. Yeah. Bring in the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so uh, we get to our final five now. We got Todd, Ben, Dustin, Jessica, and Kenji. Mm-hmm. Down to the down to the final five. Uh, so then we will eliminate. How does it how does it work now? We have two hours left of the show. So next episode, next Friday, is just going to be a regular episode. We're going to get our Battle of the Trades, which is the 1v1 showdowns for people who might forget for our final team challenge where Savage Crew can either make a little bit of money back or Dirty Hands will just continue to rub it in their faces. Then we'll get a regular individual challenge and then another overtime challenge. And then the finale, we have a final individual challenge between the top four. Yeah, usually two and two and two, right? Sometimes they pair them up, but either way, the bottom two finishers will go into the final overtime. One survives, and then the final three go into the gauntlet on the last day. Got it. Okay. Uh, So that's what's coming up next Sunday night on CBS. Okay. Jess, we're 80% of the way there. Anything else uh, you want to add about Tough as Nails? I mean, it's it's been fun. I like this structure of two episodes a week. It's really flown by. I feel like I've gotten to know these people pretty well. Yeah. 
Uh, I've very much enjoyed this season. I feel like this was yeah. uh, definitely a, a great group and uh, interested to see uh, how it's going to go. Do we want to do win- our winner picks? Yeah, let's do it. I think I've sort of outlined, you know, who I think will make it to the end. So I'll I be guess, the first. Why don't we just go through the, uh, let's just make the case for uh, the final five uh, real quick. I feel like uh, um, we have Todd coming out of this. Uh, I feel like it, this would be a nice story with Todd, but it doesn't feel like that this is his season. I keep forgetting Todd is there. Yeah. He's just, he's just too low key and we haven't gotten enough of his story. Like what we have gotten has been great, but I think if it was him in the finals, we would have gotten those beats from him being right in it and not winning. We would have gotten those before we got them from Jessica. Yeah. Okay. All right. We have Dustin who it's been quiet, a quiet ride for Dustin. You're talking about Todd is like, I forgot he was on the show with the exception of Dustin's facial hair. I sort of feel that way about him as well. And he has been also personified as like, the cool head, the Michael Bluth of Savage Crew, where he was the one that tried to keep everything together. But I do feel like outside of that, he is definitely competent. You know, he did win that first individual challenge alongside Ben, but he hasn't really been winning ever since. Then I could see him in the finals, but I feel like he also, just from an airtime perspective, has not been popping enough to necessitate a win for me. Yeah, he's got the he's got the real like third finalist energy where it's like a it's a neck and neck between the first two and he's the third one yeah. like he's got logan and london energy <laughs> <laughs> hey that's a renap listener thank you very yeah, much i know i'm saying yes. okay uh all right how about kenji who i think has kind of emerged as a dark horse to potentially uh be in the mix right yeah i think kenji has a really good shot we saw this with leah where the gauntlet is a test of a bunch of different skills and people who have those skills have a penchant to do better. We also know that Kenji is our resident roadrunner of the season. He goes incredibly Me-me. fast. Yeah, oh. and considering that uh, that's the bike horn, and considering <laughs> that the gauntlet is essentially like powering your way through an entire sequence, like a mile long, I do think that Kenji would have like the best legs for it. He'd be the least likely to get gassed out at the end. I think where I hold back is, again, the power element. If there are several parts of it that are more strength-based, whether it's like hauling a rope in or, again, hammering your way through a wall, that might be the times where Kenji's opponents would catch up on him. Okay. I think, yeah, this is always such a physical task at the end. And we've seen Kenji get gassed out. I'm not sure that he wouldn't get gassed out. Let's talk about Jessica. I think this would be the feel-good story. The only woman left in the field. She went to the first two OTs of the season, uh, was triumphant in both. And now look at her now uh, sitting here in the final five. Well, especially considering that there was a lot of storyline early on about Jessica versus the world. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. she wasn't getting along with anybody. And then by the end of it, she is a core member of her team and she's really excelling at everything she tries. I would love it. I think that's the best story of the possibilities we have out there. Not just because I have to always be team Jessica, (laughs) but I do. I think it's going to happen. I feel like Occam's razor says it is not, Mm -hmm. but man, I would love to see it. I'm wondering if part of that storyline, though, resides in the team portion of the challenge, like looking at her dynamic with Akila and how much it evolved from the two of them being at such loggerheads to, okay, we understand each other. We're working together only with each other throughout all the rest of these challenges. I feel like that's a natural resting point for Jessica's story. I could see her have an outside chance of making it to that final gauntlet, but to Jess's point, the individual challenges she has certainly done well enough in, but you look at these people like your Ben's, like your Kenji's, even Dustin's and Todd's who have like had, I think, bigger peaks than Jessica. And I think just due to her competition level, she would have a tough time staying in it with the rest of them. Okay. And finally, let's talk about Todd who, uh, I'm sorry, not Todd, Ben, uh, who is the uh, prohibitive favorite. Uh, you would, I think we all uh, would be in agreement. Favor to go into to uh, Sunday night, but will he be the winner? Yeah, one-to-one odds on Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even just outside of the skills perspective of which he has a big size and a considerable amount of speed. He has the experience, you know, obviously he's a tile setter right now, but he has experience on the boats, on the oil rig. But I feel like Ben is one of those people who has gotten the 
Joey and Kelsey-esque, oh, there's a good amount of story for you, despite the fact that you're not like necessarily a main character of this season. I think back to the Orchard Challenge where he talks about, oh, yeah, I have such like a link about this with my fiance and him talking about her getting him sober. And then like he doesn't win the challenge or necessarily peak whatsoever in the individual. Was that just a way for us to get to know our eventual winner of like giving him some airtime mm-hmm. in basically every episode? That's what I'm leaning towards. And so I think it makes sense both from a resume perspective and an edit perspective for him to win here. It's not as it's not as heavy handed as it was in like with what's his face in season two. Scott, but please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it was it, it does seem like they've gone out of their way to show Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I, I think it's feeling like a Ben win. Does anybody disagree? I might say there's a chance of Kenji. But again, like we said, the gauntlet would have to go perfectly for him. And I could see a thing where, like Murph and Danny, it's like Ben and Todd in it together for the vast majority of the gauntlet. And then Ben edges out Todd in the end. It seems like we're building towards this pseudo rivalry between these two guys. And it would only make sense for it to translate to the final challenge as well. Okay. All right, uh, so we will pick it up next week when we get to our Toughest Nails finale. Uh, Jess, what are you working on between now and then? Um, Well, we have over on Post Show Recaps, Mike Bloom and I are talking Star Trek every week. Um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds dropped maybe the greatest episode of Star Trek ever made. Wow. This past weekend. Yeah. And we were there to cover it. We had to jump on it. Can I jump in? Can I just, or, or, or do I need a lot of context? You need some context. You need, you need some t- context. And I would also recommend that you become at least relatively familiar with Lower Decks Boy, as that's well. That's a lot of homework. But if it's the best episode ever. I mean, these are 10 episode seasons. It could be worse. It could mm-hmm. be the 26 episode seasons we got back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's no, it's it's all killer, no filler over on Strange Worlds. Um, so we talked about that. Uh, we wrapped up Walking Dead Dead City. Uh, the final episode of our podcast coverage of that dropped last night. And we had the full panel. We had AJ Mass. We had Chappelle. We had Josh Wiggler. We had myself all talking about what a great ride that's been. And then we've got a month off before we have to talk about Walking Dead again. And I am enjoying that time very, very much. And then, of course, over on Reality TV, we're half up. Stan Heaton and I are talking Amazing Race Canada every week. Okay. All right. Uh, be sure to uh, check that out in our Reality TV wrap ups feed. Mike, what's coming up for you? Yeah, so Jess and I talking Star Trek two times over. We also did make a Tough as Nails uh, comparison as well in our episode six podcast that we were able to figure out that Phil Kogan is really the Christopher Pike of CBS reality hosts, uh, which translates a lot to both the shows that Jess and I are talking about. Also doing, yeah, head of hair as well, that really like uh, blue collar relatable attitude. Also talking about Star Wars and uh, BSG over there. And then on the reality TV side of things if you all out there have become thirsty for me wearing ridiculous costumes on the podcast you got a nice little treat if you're a big brother fan this past week i got to participate in the finale of the off-season draft podcast where myself taryn puya sasha mari we drafted a cast of big brother legends and then did one of my favorite things a brand steel to play out it was an amazingly fun night and then uh, i'm getting back on the survivor horse a little bit. Uh, I th- was on the uh, the You Should Know podcast with uh, Kevin and Nigel this upcoming week to talk about someone who honestly would probably do really well in Tough as Nails, James Clement, yes. three-time Survivor player. Uh, maybe a good display of the Tough as Nails attitude in so many ways, considering how much he was fixated around the camp and would have been a fantastic television personality. He would have been great too. at the Orchard. Yes, he absolutely would have because he knows not to bite those apples <laughs> because they are frozen and broken (laughs) that's right that's right all right well uh thank you mike and of course check out everything we have going on over on all things rhap at robinswebsite.com where i am also covering claim to fame uh which is airing a monday at night so be sure to join us for uh this monday's installment there thank you so much for joining us take care everybody have a good one bye 